All right, what's going on? Another edition of the Tony D Podcast brought to you by Flooring is Forever. Uh, hope you're getting through things. Hope you're staying positive. Um, you know, if you've fallen on a hard times, let's just keep on trying to stay positive and get through this together. It's a very tough time, as we know. Indy 500's been po- postponed. Everything's been postponed. It feels like life's been postponed. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be working uh, in grocery stores, making sure beer stocks, such like that. Um, not going to complain, just glad to be employed, uh, happy to be able to wake up every day and go to work. Uh, but, you know, it's a tough time, and we're going to hopefully all get through this together, and we'll just keep rolling. Big thanks, as always, to Flooring Is Forever. If you're looking for durable, high-quality flooring with a lifetime warranty, 100% kid-proof, pet-proof, and waterproof Cortec, flooring is a great option. They have beautiful options to choose from, from wood to tile looks. Built-in cork backing creates an extra layer of insulation for more comfort, easy to clean, and won't stain. Harley at Flooring is Forever is your guy. He did my buddy Steve's floors in his basement, and they look awesome. All right, Jake Query is going to join join me. I guess not us. Join me. Join us if you're listening. I guess it's multiple people. We're going to talk about it's kind of where the world stands right now. Hopefully escape for a little bit and just talk some sports. Maybe go down memory lane. Looking forward to that conversation. Jake and I have been friends for 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 quite a long time now. Uh, and, and we'll dive into kind of working in the sports media world here in Indianapolis. Uh, appreciate all the tweets and interaction. Really appreciate everybody filling up those polls for the uh, iRacing event over the weekend with NASCAR. Timmy Hill getting that win. That was awesome. Sage Karam winning. At Watkins Glen for the IndyCar iRacing Challenge. We've got more this weekend. Uh, we will continue that. Hopefully it brings a level of normalcy uh, and gets you some action, even though it's a electronic race. But that all that all that stuff's pretty cool. I think if you, if you really have seen, you know, Connor Daly does a great job on Twitch. He goes live. It's pretty unedited, pretty raw. Uh, it's funny. Him and Colton Hurd and Alexander Rossi were on there Sunday night from Gateway. Uh, and Colton and, and Alex were out of the race trying to, um, get the strategy right for, for Connor's race. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but just the setups that go into that, um, you know, inside these drivers' homes, I, I think it makes it a lot of fun. And it's what we got right now. It's the world we're living in. we got to adjust. I've learned since the day I was born that life is about adjustments. And that's what we're adjusting to. Like I said, appreciate the tweets, especially the ones uh, I tweeted out. What's your race day traditions for the Indy 500? A lot of great ones there. Um, uh, maybe I'll dive into mine in the next podcast. Also, I asked, you know, a famous person that you've met that, um, you know, kind of surprised you with how generous or how nice they were or willing to spend time. I got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of scale from Jennifer Aniston to Dave Chappelle to Peyton Manning to famous athletes. Um, somebody mentioned Dario Franchitti, and I told him I would on this podcast mention my Dario story. And real quick, before we get to Jake, I'll dive into that. So, I've always been a Dario fan. I was at his first technical IRL IndyCar win at Milwaukee. I was always a fan of, in, in, the, in the 2000s, I was always Thomas Schechter, Ed Carpenter, and Dario Franchitti, one of my drivers. And Dario won the 500 in 07. That was awesome. Obviously, again, in 2010 and 2012. I uh, had gotten his autograph a few times uh, once. Uh, we got a, I got my picture with him three weeks before he won his first 500. It was opening day. 
And I handed the camera to Ashley Judd, and she was like, oh, you want a picture with, with you guys? And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, but then working in a radio, you know, Dario would win, and we'd always try to get him on, and he would come on after the 500, and it just seemed like you'd only do it because it was an obligation. And um, obviously you're busy. I understand that. But I'll say this about Dario. Um, you know, obviously now I work for Zinc. I work for Budweiser. So that's been a cool connection that I've made when I was working at the radio station. And last year we did uh, Legends of the 500 at different Kroger grocery stores promoting the race, promoting Budweiser, uh, and autograph sessions. And lines were out the door for a lot of these drivers. And Dario had the longest line. I get a text saying... Um, hey, when Dario arrives, this is the Thompson Road location, I think, down in Franklin Township. You need to go outside and get him. Uh, bring him in. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. This is, you know, all right, well, okay, I'll go out and get him. So I go out and get him, and he's like, hey, man, thanks for coming out. Appreciate it. Um, and I was like, yeah, dude. Uh, and the line was out the door. And I said, you know, we'll try to, I'll try to just kind of play referee here. I'll usher people in. Try to limit them to an autograph per person, a picture. I'll take the picture, just make it as fast as possible so you can get out of here. And he showed up 15 minutes early. He didn't have to start early, and he did. Um, he had a dinner downtown through uh, the radio station. So he, he did have a, an obligation, but he stayed uh, the entire length, a little bit longer, signed everything, told awesome stories, was so personal to everybody. And I was like, man, like... This, I mean, things have obviously gone well and changed in his life. Uh, obviously, winning 3500s is awesome, but when that gets taken away from you, now he has a family. Um, and I was just really impressed with how awesome and professional um, and how engaging he was with everybody that was there, including myself, including the people from Kroger, Budweiser. Um, so I have always liked Dario, but, but that kind of went over the top uh, this time last year is the week of the 500. Uh, him coming out, uh, he signed uh, pictures. He took a picture with me, and was telling awesome stories. I think he even took a picture of a of a wing or or a piece of a car and sent it to Paul Tracy and was talking about it. Um, so was really excited um, that Dario Franchitti was so personable, so nice to me, so appreciative um, of being there. So kudos to Dario. I don't know if he's listening or anybody knows him. I'd love to interview him on the podcast I had before. I interviewed him before the 100-500. He was awesome then. Um, I think it'd be a great conversation. Or if anybody else you want to suggest to come on the podcast, let me know. We're all just sitting around anyway. All I got to do is send you a link. You hook it up and we can talk. I think it'd be a great time with Dario. And uh, I'm going to look into maybe some of these other IndyCar drivers. I should have got Sage Karam on. Probably could still do that. Um, And we'll just try to keep promoting everything. Promote local. Um, We'll even promote I mean, I don't have a problem promoting businesses, even if you're not a local business. It's still local people running that establishment. So um, let's just try to keep, again, a level of normalcy. That's all we can do right now. That being said, uh, again, brought to you by Flooring is Forever. Let's bring on Jay Query. Yo. Okay, I hear it, I hear it now. Yeah. Okay, all right, good, good, good. What's going on? You're looking at it. All right. whole lot of nothing. Yeah, I mean... It's just kind of one. Uh, my former radio friend. Now we're both doing different things. Jake, thanks for joining us. First and foremost, uh, with all this going on, uh, how you doing? How you holding up? And what's keeping you busy? That's a great question, Tony. Thanks for having me. You know, it's funny because so I worked in radio. You know, did the same show for nine and a half years, and then 
you always know when you work in radio. I mean, it's always a possibility that, especially when you work for any large corporation, you know, regardless of the radio industry, but any large corporation, you know that your number can be called in layoffs or changes at any time. And that's ultimately what happened uh, to Derek Schultz, who I did the show that I did. Uh, he was my co-host. And so we were um, laid off along with, I think that the total number was over well over a thousand people nationwide in mid January. So, you know, fortunately there were, there are some things that go in there where you're like, okay, I don't, I don't really need to start finding or looking at anything right away. I mean, I had mm -hmm. some, you know, I had bought myself some time there and then of course doing IndyCar play by play, which is my other job. So I did a lot of stuff in IndyCar and Indy lights broadcast. So I looked at it and I'm like, okay, I'm pretty much good for the calendar year. Well then, you know, let's be honest. I mean, I get laid off, Tony, on January 14th, and it's kind of like this, you know, at least with people I know and friends and family, you know, oh, wow, you got laid off. Like, I thought everything's going great with the economy and everything else. And then, you know, obviously the world has changed drastically within six weeks of that. And so now all of a sudden, when people ask me, they're like, so now that the coronavirus is here, like, what have you been doing to p kill the time? And my answer is pretty much the same thing I was doing the two months before that. You know what I mean? Like everyone's kind of coming to my level of activity. So I've actually kind of been at peace with it. Um, look, I want everybody to be safe. I understand and I've adhered to the advisement. You know, I haven't been going out and it's disappointing. I mean, you know, it's let me ask you this, Tony. Here's, here's my question for you. With this happening and with all of a sudden, you know, as we know, I mean, we don't need to go over all the changes people have had to make. Which would be a worse three-month stretch for this to take place? Mm -hmm. The three months that we're going through, and let's hope it's only three months. My fear is that it may be longer, but let's say it's three months. So right now it's disappointing because it's, you know, the weather's turning and it's the time when you normally would be going out and running the Monon and sitting outside in a restaurant in Broderpool and walking around downtown and doing the canal and going to the race and parade, you know, you know the concerts, everything that happens in the spring and summer. So you're missing out on all that, but at least the weather's nice and you can get out of the house and you can enjoy fresh air and you can go out in the yard and you can walk the neighborhood, which is worse right now, missing out on what we're missing out on. Or if this had happened in, let's say, December, January, February, where it's 10 degrees and like dark outside at 430 in the afternoon and you're literally stuck in your house, but you're not missing any events. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, especially you know, around here have a lot of FOMO right now. And I mean, with me, like I like to go out and do my thing, but I can be a homebody too in, in those winter months where it's cold, but you just think about everything that's been missed out just in this city alone um, from the beer industry wise, kind of what I've been working in, you know, we're preparing for all these green St. Patrick's day um, kegs to go out. We're preparing for Supercross, the NCAA tournament, big 10, all these events downtown uh, where I've been working mass Ave, um, those, most of those bars I service, you know, we were talking about the pride parade. I mean, we're just talking about all these, um, constant things that were going to be happening week in and week out that aren't happening. So, um, I mean, I just think everybody's taking a hit and there's really, I mean, I get it. I understand it. It sucks for everybody, but, but, but I think we're all allowed to feel sad. We're all allowed sure. to feel even sorry for ourselves and for our friends because, we're all going through this. And I had a friend that came down with it and, you know, 
I guess maybe I'm guilty of this too. You see these things that happen and you're like, ah, well, it'll never happen to me. I'm healthy. I, you know, I've never been sick. I don't go through a lot of these things. And then all of a sudden it hits home because it's somebody that you're really close to. Then it's like, oh shit, I need to take this incredibly seriously and maybe start changing the way I do things. Um, so at least for me, and I think for a lot of people too, um, it's a guess it's a good time to reflect on what you have and be grateful for, for what you do have. You know, uh, let me tell you something that I don't know this a hundred percent factually, but I think it's pretty, I think I've connected a lot of dots and just kind of figured some stuff out here. The NBA, and I understand, and I respect that a lot of people had the issue with the NBA's kind of relationship with China going back to the beginning of the basketball season. But mm-hmm. the NBA, because of that relationship, had a pretty good scope and forecast on what possibly was coming with the coronavirus. And so the NBA was prepared by acquiring their own test kits. I believe they got them. I don't know. I'm not going to say where I'm, they got them from overseas, but they, but they bought privately their own test kits to have ready to go. When Rudy Gobert came down with conditions, they immediately tested him along with everybody with the Utah Jazz. And boom, Adam Silver wasted no time. As soon as Rudy Gobert tested positive, that was it. Mm-hmm. And the NBA right then said, all the games after tonight, we are postponed. Now, my question for you, Tony, is what happens if that never had happened? Mm-hmm. What happens if Rudy Gobert had not tested positive and we'd have gone another two or three weeks and the NBA was behind on getting tests like every other avenue? You know, the NBA was the first domino, and then all, all of a sudden the world changed. It was like watching the, the train station boards in New York City changing with everything that was happening instantly. Where would we be if that hadn't happened? Mm-hmm. How far yeah, behind would we be? And, I, and, and I'm with you on that. I thought about that. We would definitely be behind, and I just think there would be a lot of professional sports leagues that can kind of end up looking bad. And I'll take it to this with you. You were in St. Pete, and it seemed like the only events that were going to happen that weekend of the 13th, 14th, and 15th, I believe it was, was NASCAR and IndyCar. And then NASCAR canceled. IndyCar was going to run with no fans. Um, and then they decided, which I thought, okay, if, if this is what they're going to do, they're going to, you know, you move the same to NBC, you get some, some, some new eyes, some new right. ears on this. Um, but I think they, at the end of the day, it was kind of lead by example. And when you've got a, when, when, when something as big as the NBA decides in the middle of when they're about to heat up and the playoff races are really starting and the, and the playoffs are less than a month away, when they decide to postpone, I think that that kind of set the precedent um, for all the other major sports leagues and events like the Masters to do so. Take me through that weekend when you were in St. Pete, because you're probably flying down there on Wednesday or Thursday night with a lot of uncertainty. Correct. It's funny because typically, you know, when I was still doing the radio show, I would always fly out on Thursday nights of race weekends. I would fly out on the last available flight. So I usually, you know, I would get in probably three hours worth of our show. Well, mm-hmm. obviously that was, you know, I, I was no longer doing a radio show, so I didn't have that, that parameter, if you will. So I was scheduled to fly out midday on that Thursday. So I get up and, you know, I'm sitting in, and other stuff had already started getting canceled. The NBA deal was the night before. So I'm thinking to myself, uh, am I going down 
for no reason at all? Like, what? Um, do I still have a flight? What's going on? So I was sitting in the airport. Jay Howard's wife was actually sitting next to me as we're waiting to board the plane. And we were having the same conversation of, have you heard anything? And the only thing I'd heard is that there was going to be a press conference later Thursday afternoon where they were going to discuss what they were going to do, you know, whether or not they were going to have fans or whatever else. And I truly thought, Tony, I'm going to land. And as soon as I land, they're going to tell me to go right across the terminal to a plane back to Indy because everything's done. Well, that press conference initially said just no fans. And I will admit that somewhat made sense. I could understand it because everyone that's competing, there's no social, you know, social distancing is not, a, as a matter of fact, in auto racing, you're wanting to create social distancing, right? I mean, you're, you're clearly, you're, you're trying to get as far away from everybody as you can. And, and anybody who is working side by side, they're wearing helmets, they're wearing gloves, they're wearing full body armor, you know, except for the, on the pit stand and whatever else. But so at the time, and maybe in retrospect, it's naive, but at the time I felt like, okay, I guess th this could work. And then Friday morning, there was one practice session for Indy Lights. I was not assigned to that session. And only those that were assigned to the session were allowed to go to it. So um, everyone had to go to one particular entrance. You had to have, I think, a thermometer. You know, you had to do a temperature scan and you had to fill out a sheet. And then you were allowed into the racetrack vicinity. Well, I was not in that group, so I didn't have to do that Friday morning. By noon on Friday, the announcement came out that the entire month of April was wiped out. So, and I had planned and was booked for a trip to Australia. Mm. And I thought, well, I knew Long Beach was out because Long Beach was the first domino to go. So I thought, well, if they cancel Barber, then... I could theoretically go to Australia because if I get stuck there for a couple of days coming back, it's not a big deal because I don't have to get back in time for Barber. Well, yep. then I thought, well, I guess now I can still go through with my Australia trip. Then Australia sent me an email saying, you're still welcome to come here, but you have to quarantine for 14 days before you'll be released into the country. Well, yeah, come <laughs> on. And, and, for, and furthermore, Tony, now Australia is not allowing flights off of Australia until May 31st. So it's probably a good thing I didn't go. But anyway... Yeah. Then the decision became, well, what do we do? Do I just stay down here in my hotel for three days and hang out on the beach? Well, what, and, and that was tempting, but it, yeah. it, but it felt strange. And it just felt, you know, it was one of those things where even though we hadn't started to see any effect yet, you definitely had in your mind this thought of like, I just want to get home. I just want to be at home. Yeah. This is a weird, it, I'm not going to say it was 9-11. I'm not saying that to disrespect those that lost their lives at 9-11 and what was a horrific day, but it had that same just kind of weird, uncomfortable yeah. feeling where you just kind of wanted to be by your mom. You know what I mean? It was, yep. it, it, oh, yeah. so it was weird. And then, so that's what while, I, I ended up leaving early and I came home. While we're on the subject of IndyCar, we'll just continue down that path. Um, as of right now, August 23rd, Indianapolis 500. Uh, Detroit is supposed to kick off the season with a double header. That's like the last day of May, first day of June. Uh, we can speculate if we want, but, you know, I just, as much as I would have loved to see the Indianapolis 500 be like that first major sporting event when everything comes back, this is something that we've never been through and nobody really knows. With that being said, what is the latest you think, let's say things don't transpire like we think that they might, because we just don't know, would they run this in, is October feasible to do if, for whatever reason, it does get 
postponed again from August 23rd. Obviously, we hope it doesn't. We want it to be set on that date. The July 4th weekend is going to be awesome. We can get into that. But what is the latest you think that they could run this race if things continue to get pushed back like they have for the last two or three weeks? It's a great question. And one, truthfully, Tony, I hadn't thought a lot about. But let's let's analyze this, okay? If you end up having to postpone again off of August, then that means that you're doing it because conditions are still such that there is hesitation to get people in a large gathering. This is assuming that you're running it with fans, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the case, from what we've seen in the last month or so, are things really, is there going to be enough improvement in six weeks where then you're good to go? You know, I, yeah. I, I don't know. My thought, and I want to preface this very clearly, I am not privy to these conversations. I haven't had this conversation. I'm not in those meetings. This is strictly my thought. Nothing as a freelance employee or a broadcaster of any series or any sporting event of my factors into this thought but my thought is two things number one one of the tricks in terms of for any sporting event of figuring out if you can do them in the summertime is whether or not that particular city or state governmentally is allowing congregation you know michigan's got a i know that that indycar is scheduled to go at the end of michigan if i'm not mistaken michigan has like a you know, a lockdown or whatever you want to call it until like early May, mid-May, something yep. like that. You know, Virginia, I know, has one that doesn't expire until June 10th and IndyCar scheduled to go there on June 27th. So it gets very close in terms of the preparation and the things like that. There are a lot of challenges there. I, this is just my thought. I wonder, or I'm starting to grow this like raised eyebrow over the fact that because there seems to be the thought that large gatherings are an influence and a spark of these outbreaks. It makes me wonder if professional sports leagues, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, auto racing, whatever it may be, if professional sports leagues will not hold off on public attendance of their events until there is a vaccine as to then take all liability out of their own hands. And that way, if people come together, and then someone gets sick, they can say, hey, you, you had the option of a vaccine. Like, that's not on us. You know, the flu. Yeah. Like, if you, go to a, if you go to a California or a, whatever they are now, L.A. Angels, whatever. You go to a Dodgers game, Angels game, Rockies game, uh, you know, Florida Panthers, whatever sport it is. If you go to a game and you end up getting the flu, you don't say to yourself, like, oh, you know what? Like, I went to a game and they had other people in there that had the flu. And that's why I got the Look, you have an opportunity to take a flu shot. If you didn't take it, it's on you. Yep. And until that happens, I don't know. I don't know that from a this is such a hot button topic that I don't know that that, that we're not approaching that area. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's the key. No one knows, right? Do you think that I mean obviously Roger Penske with the ownership of the series Indianapolis Motor Speedway that the Indianapolis 500 comes first. Like, we'll worry about the rest of the schedule, and if everything gets canceled and the only thing we can run is the 500, we'll run the 500. I mean, we don't know, but is double headers by chance? I mean, they already do it at Detroit. You could do one at Toronto. Is it a matter of just getting in the races that you can or trying to make everybody happy? Because you're not going to be able to, to please all the promoters, all the ownerships of these facilities, all these communities where IndyCar comes. 
what have you thought about what options maybe they have? Do you expand the 2021 season? Um, what could be done? Let's say that the worst happens and we can't really get many IndyCar races or any sporting events, um, but we'll just stick with IndyCar uh, throughout the rest of the year. I think a couple of things come into play, Tony. Number one, uh, great question about the doubleheaders and, and trying to condense things or, or get it packed in, maneuvering around the schedule. You know, they've already done, obviously, in terms of trying to get as many races or as close to a facsimile of a full season without Barbara, without Long Beach, without, you know, those races, the St. Pete. Although St. Pete's now scheduled towards the end, I realize. But, um, you know, I don't know that – I do think that if if it came down to it and the Indy 500 had to be moved at the – at the cost or the sake of another race weekend, I think mm-hmm. the Indy 500 would prioritize. I do. Yeah. Now, in terms of the, the other thing that comes into play here, though, is what happens to a lot of these team sponsors? You know, yeah. I, I think that we've, we, we have thought so hard about how this impacts the schedule that what we haven't thought about is how this impacts the teams in terms of, some of those sponsors that this is so hurt economically that that's the first cut they make. And then all of a sudden you have a team that says, we don't have the funding for that car that we thought we were going to have. I don't, I have nothing to base that on. I've been given no indication that there are teams that are in that predicament, but at this point, don't you explore? I mean, all bets are off, right? I mean, who knows? Um, But, but no, I think that, if it came down to it and it was, and you're running out of daylight, so to speak, in terms of the, the calendar, I think the Indy 500 would prioritize over others. Yeah, and I think Roger, being the businessman that he is, would be able to maybe incorporate some of the sponsors on some of these one-off teams for the 500 or some of these sponsors of other races to be able to promote themselves within the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm sure that's something that can be um, explored. And I also think, you know, for some of these one-off teams that only run the 500, it, maybe it helps them to have a little bit more time to gather more sponsorship for August. But when you turn around, as soon as this race is over, it's September 1st, and that kind of cuts into only having eight months to be able to prepare for the next race. I mean, I think of some of the drivers that run one-offs that search all year, 360, probably four days out of the year for a sponsor, um, you know, that it, it may put them – it'll be interesting to see how far behind the eight ball they will be for 2021. Well, I just – look, I hope I'm wrong here. I just, my fear, and I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I'm not an economist. I'm not, you know, I'm just going by gut. My fear is that we could be heading into an era where corporations and individuals alike are taking a very hard look at all expendable income. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, what, cor- what marketing dollars are drying up? And, and, you know, that would be my fear. And then how the, the everything that falls off of that, you know, the, the trickle down effect of that. I hope I'm wrong. I certainly hope I'm wrong, but I think it's a possibility that has to be thought about. Jay Query joins me here in the Tony D podcast. All right. I've been just kind of, I think we've all been doing this because everybody turns to Twitter uh, maybe as a temporary escape or, or, or for their news or whatever, but I've just been kind of asking open-ended questions to people on Twitter just to see some of the reactions. Some of it's been pretty good. I'll ask you, um, I'll ask you two of them, but the first one would be, what is your Indy 500 race day tradition? Everybody has their own. You're a little bit different because uh-huh. you have to be on the perch in turn three. But but walk me through, I guess, the hours leading up uh, to the to the point where you're going to be in your perch in turn three. You know, my favorite day of the year 
is always the parade, believe it or not, because mm-hmm. okay. because it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, you know what I mean? Like you're like yep. tomorrow's race day. And so we've gone down, you know, for that every year. But in terms of when I was a kid, we had the same ritual that I would pack my lunch the exact same way. And, you know, two Mountain Dews and two, two of each, you know, mm-hmm. two chicken, two, two peanut butter jelly and you know, whatever else. Um, I had the same route that I would drive. I'll still never tell anybody my secret route, right? So several years ago, Tony, so that was my tradition is when I, when I started working. So in 2007, I was lucky enough to become part of the radio broadcast. So 07, 08, and then turn, turn 2009, I moved to the turns. Well, the first year, I can't remember what year it was, actually. It might have been 10 or 11, but I would do my same driving route that I've, been, that I've done my whole life. And they would offer to us a police escort that would meet at like 730 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of snicker because I'm like, Who need a police escort. Like it takes me my perfect fail proof route has never taken me more than 25 minutes. You know, da, da, da. so I don't remember what year it was, Tony. You may remember better than I, but there someone had been stabbed in the coke lot or near the coke lot. And so yeah. they shut down the, the, the north entrance. Yep. So I'm on 30th Street. And we have a meeting at like nine o'clock in the pagoda or something. And I'm looking at the clock and it's like eight 30 and I'm in my car and I'm on 30th street and we are not moving. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is not good. So I get out of my car. There's a cop. And I say, what's going on? And he says, well, the, the entire entrance is closed. No one's getting in this way. And I say, well, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I have to be in there. And he looks at me and he looks at the people that you can see, you know, from here to Columbus, Ohio. And he says, Hey man, everybody here has to get in there. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm on the broadcast. Well, and I don't want to be that guy, right? You don't want to be that guy. So I kid you not, the only time this has ever happened to me, two guys behind me in the car behind me say, Hey, don't you work on the radio network? And I said, yeah. And they're like, how are you going to get in here? And I said, I have no idea. And the cop says, well, I've got a golf cart. I can golf cart you in, but you can't drive in right now. It's closed. So these two guys say, why don't you just go ahead and take the golf cart in and grab your stuff and we'll get in your car and park it and then just leave your, where do we take your keys? And I'm like, you can just leave them at the bottom of the pagoda at the table. And they're like, we'll just leave your keys with a yellow shirt with a note. And I said, and I'm like, I don't know who these guys are. I don't know where they're from. They might want a new Jeep Grand Cherokee. I have no idea. I did it. (laughs) I took, I crossed my fingers. And after the race, my two, my keys were sitting there with a post-it note. So long winded (laughs) and circuitous. My answer for you is my tradition now is starting in the, the beginning of the month, finding the police officer that's going to do my escort and calling and securing it so that I can get in there and I can not have that nightmare anymore of being stuck out on 30th Street. Well, and I, I've been there, um, and I, I don't live too far from here, from you here in Broderpool. And, and a tradition that always hits me is the anxiety of not making it, you know, and I, Making it for the green is one thing, but I want to be in there. Oh, on the pre-race. You know, totally. You know, I don't want to miss back home again in Indiana. Totally. I don't want to miss the flyover. And I think there was only one year that I we were running really late, and we kind of got stuck. And I ended up, you know, it used to be we would park at my great aunt's house across from where the old big lots would be. Then I got a media parking credential, so I'd always try to get my car over to the media lot. One year, I just left it there overnight on Saturday night and had my dad. My dad was in town from Seattle, and I just rode with him and. And it, and it was fine. But, yeah, I think there's always that anxiety. Oh, yeah. There's always at, at least one point. And, I, you know, I, I, I take some shortcuts, and I'm not, a, you know, just trying to get there. But 
you know, there's always an anxiety at some point of the day where you're like, oh, crap, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. Um, we need to get moving. And then obviously I've yet to miss the green flag. Um, so that's good. All right. My second question. And I think you saw us on Twitter. We've had everything from Jennifer Aniston to Mario Andretti to Dave Chappelle, people answering. Uh, but w- give me a, a famous athlete, actor, anybody in any sort of fame that you've met that you, after that conversation or after you met them, you were taken back by either how polite they were, how generous they were with their time. Um, mine, you know, one of mine was Dario last year in an autograph session that we put on for him with Budweiser. Um, just how personable and how, how, how polite and down to earth he was. Uh, but give me somebody that you've met in your lifetime, could be through racing, could be through anything, um, that you just, you remember that vividly, you know, like that was very nice of that person to spend as much time as they did and, and were very nice. Okay, I got two. The first is when I was an intern in New York City in 1994. I lived in a building at 10th and 5th Avenue and like the third Brownstone Inn on 10th Street. Rumor was, and this was right after the movie Honeymoon in Vegas had come out. And I realize now that it's trendy to talk about how Sarah Jessica Parker is like, a lot of people think she's unattractive, you know, when she was in Sex in the City. But when she was like in her early to mid 20s and was in Hollywood and, or Honeymoon in Vegas, I thought she was smoking hot personally. Mm-hmm. And so I had a thing for her for sure because her, her in a bikini in that movie is unbelievable. So I knew that she apparently lived in this brownstone. Well, one night I went to the deli New York and I came back and I actually had bought toilet paper and I had the toilet paper on my shoulder and I'm walking and this car pulls up in front of what I know is allegedly her brownstone and then she gets out right and I'm like and it was like 11 no it was it was it was like 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night. it was dark out and I'm like oh my god so I stop her excuse me Miss Parker she's like yeah and I'm like um and then, then I realized Tony I have nothing to say to her. What, what, what am I going to say here, right? <laughs> so I literally said, I'm standing there with toilet paper on my shoulder, and she looks at me, and I look at her, and I said, I think Honeymoon in Vegas is the best movie I've ever seen. And, <laughs> and she's like, uh, and so anyway, then I mentioned that I was from Indianapolis, and I was interning in New York or in MTV. She's from Cincinnati, so, and I told her I like Letterman a lot, and she had just been on Letterman. So anyway, I said to her, I really want to get my picture taken with you before I leave. For this, from the summer and she said and this was pre-cell phone days you know and she yeah. said well here's the buzzer on my building just buzz it sometime and if I'm home I'll come down and you can get my picture <laughs> well I never did do it but at the end of the summer I went back to school in Bloomington and of course I knew her address because you know it was a bright fervor building so I sent her a note that just said hey I chickened out on ever getting your picture but it was really cool to meet you and like two weeks later I got back in the mail, the People magazine, where she was listed as one of the 25 most beautiful people. She had torn out her the page out of People magazine and said and, and signed it and said, to Jake, hope your internship went well. When you get your own show someday, I look forward to being a guest, Sarah Jessica Parker. Wow. So that was cool. Okay. Uh, All right. The, the yeah. other one, I yeah. won't make as long a story, but the very first big-time athlete that I ever did a story on, I was as green and naive as could be. I broke every unwritten rule of what you're supposed to do as a broadcaster. And it was with Tony Gwynn. And it was because he was living in Indianapolis in the off season at the time. And I went to go, he was playing for the Padres and I went to San Diego and he not only was the nicest, most down to earth guy I've ever met. 
Um, I asked to get a picture taken with him because it was the first interview I'd ever done. And that's like the most taboo thing you can do when you have a credential. But he he took it. He actually he found the team photographer to take it. This is all like an hour before first pitch of this game, too. Yep. Um, he then, because I told him I was working at a cigar store in Brotherton, six weeks after the season ended, I was working at the cigar store and Tony Gwynn came in, who had taken it upon himself to get the photo from the team photographer get it signed, bring it back into me in person. And then when Ted Williams died, I was working at channel six and the phone rang and I said, sports. And this boy said, I'm looking for a guy named Jake. And I said, this is Jake. And he said, Hey Jake, you remember me? It's Tony Gwynn. Well, yeah, I remember you. (laughs) And he said, Hey man, I know that Ted Williams passed away. And I said, yeah. And he said, I didn't know if there's any way I could just come down there for a little bit and talk about the greatest hitter in baseball history. And I said, sure. And he came down and we did a sit down and I, that's, so when Ted Williams passed away, I had like a 10 minute sit down with Tony Gwynn because he wanted to talk about how much he loved Ted Williams. And yeah, he was the everything you've ever heard about Tony Gwynn being a great guy and a nice guy and a down to earth guy that was totally unaware of his own greatness is absolutely true. I had one, um, you, you know, there are unwritten rules, obviously in media when you're credentialed, I, I kind of, you mean like don't when... take your kid and his friends in to try to meet Kobe Bryant. <laughs> that's one isn't it well oh well, yeah there's uh there's there, there's a lot that you and i could dive into but i i do like to take pictures but i but but more so where i'm at from where you were then it's a social media era people like to see that stuff i guess uh but i did have one when i was a kid yeah i think I now you know what i should have i should have backed that up tony i think now because of the the advent of the iphone and the instant it, it's a yeah. little different now you know, 20 yeah. 25 yeah. years oh, ago yeah. when you had to have a camera and somebody take it it's a lot different Yep, exactly. Well, and I'll make this one quick, too, before we move on. But um, I was probably eight or nine years old, and, and I always, and I still do to this day, you could slap Menards on the side of anything, and I'll probably cheer for it when it comes to racing because, you know, uh, Scott Brayton, Tony Stewart, Ari Leyendijk, those are th- those are the guys that I cheered for. What about Paul Menard? I, um, you know, I don't mind Paul Menard. He was always nice to me. Uh, when I met him, although I think you and I have talked about this, and I'll, I guess I can tell this, <laughs> this story. This is my favorite quick, story. Is that um, when, and you know this, I mean, sometimes NASCAR went through this 2010-ish, 2000 and on. We're like, and you you were probably the same way. We couldn't get these drivers on to come onto our radio station. Like, we're the flagship, you know. All I want is Paul Menard on for five minutes. So I would try every year to get Paul Menard on. He's won one race in his life, and it was here let's put him on and he so we would get back all the time no i'm sorry he's got a sponsorship obligation and i'm thinking i know exactly where he's going he's probably going from ims to avon or ims to Pendleton pike to go to the menards locations he should have at least five minutes stick the phone in his hand anyway didn't happen one year jmv and i try to get on all the drivers that were basically sponsored by black paint that didn't have any any sponsors but um but yeah so paul menard would never come on and then Towards the end of my tenure, and ironically enough, on this podcast, speaking of Menards, I've had Ryan Blaney on. Like that whole dynamic of NASCAR being too good for local radio has totally changed. Oh, yeah. I think you've seen that in the, in the shifts of crowd. I just think it's hilarious. Uh, Paul Menard has to defer to his sponsor, and the sponsor is his dad. <laughs> yeah, is he mowing it's, his lawn? It's his, yeah, it's his damn last name. Right, and I just. You know, and, and I would get frustrated. And you know how JMV is. JMV's, you know, he's been around the block 
you know, he was like, all right, calm down. It's not a big deal. Who cares? And I'm like, yeah, but damn. Then, then it became like a running joke. Like you said, like, this is his damn last name. That's his, that's his sponsor. But back to my original story, when I was a kid, I would wait outside. And I mean, even, even after Stewart left, Greg Ray was a favorite of mine for a while. Anyway, and I waited outside of Tony Stewart's pit, and I got every driver's autograph, I think, in that field in 97 or 98, except for Tony Stewart. So I'm kind of ticked off at the end of the day, and, you know, my grandpa's there, and we're walking away, and some lady approaches me and says, were you waiting for Tony Stewart? And I said, yeah, I think I had a Menards hat on or something. Somebody had given me now, now How old were you at this time? Eight or nine. Okay. I think it was 97, so I would be, I would be, going, I'd be eight going on nine. And somebody had given me a Menards hat with a Tony Stewart pin that I was wearing. And anyway, some lady approaches me later in the day and says, were you waiting for Tony Stewart? And I said, yes, absolutely. You know, and my, I was just, that was the guy that I cheered for. He had the car that I liked. Well, she asked for my address and I said, I, I'm not allowed to give that away to strangers. I'm sorry. And she's like, well, who are you with? And I was like, my grandfather, grandfather comes down, gives my address. And three weeks later in the mail, even though it was on a Shell Pontiac Bush series photo, Tony Stewart sent me a picture that said to Tony, uh, Tony Stewart. So I thought that was really That's cool, cool that, you know, and, 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 and what I've learned too, I guess, growing more, and you see this all the time, we see this with a lot of drivers, some, some of these guys and gals just have a bad day and they just don't want to be bothered, which sucks because the fans are what, you know, is the reason why you're racing, but I, but I get it. Like, you know, if you're having a bad day at work, you don't want to, you know, mingle in a fun time. You know, it just, everybody has a bad day. And some, you know, and I was just glad that he kind of, you know, I guess realized that and had sent that to me. Um, So anyway, back to uh, some more things before we got into this whole coronavirus, the Pacers uh, were up and down, had a bad slump. Uh, Victor Oladipo is kind of getting back. Then all of a sudden, the Lance talks started again. Whether you think he should have came or not doesn't matter now. But what were your thoughts on this new-look Pacers team this year? A lot of injuries. Malcolm Brogdon this time. Um, obviously, Lamb was out for the, for the remainder of the year. But uh, I think what I've seen this year with the Pacers, I'm excited for moving forward, whether this season gets started back up or we just hit reset going into 2021. I was really excited. If these guys can stay healthy, I think this is a Pacer team that is still maybe one piece away from being a championship contender, but they're certainly on the right track. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Um, the guy that really I was pleased with this year that exceeded my expectation, you're going to laugh when I say it. I thought I think I know who it is. I thought Jeremy Lamb gave them really good minutes. I, I, I like mm-hmm. the fact – I mean, look, okay. Malcolm Brogdon was really good at the beginning of the year, and then his durability became – you know, obviously concerning. It, it goes without saying that Sabonis was spectacular. I think Miles Turner yep. is a is a popular whipping boy. I personally really like him because I know what they ask him to do, and what they're asking him to do is to generate their offense based on his defense, and then to draw bigs out by being kind of that stretch four type player. And he can not stretch four off the dribble, but you know, they can shoot from outside. So he does his part very well. But I just liked Jeremy Lamb because I thought he gave him good minutes. You didn't hear a lot about him per se, but he's a very good mid-range guy. He can penetrate when he has to. And I thought he, you know, he's long, so he can defend a little bit. But to me, I felt like the Pacers at the end of the year, that was really going to be the time, truth be told, where they were 
evaluating and analyzing whether or not they build around Oladipo or whether or not Oladipo is the guy that they parlay into pieces to then complement the Turner Sabonis Brogdon trio. And unfortunately they're going to be robbed of that opportunity to see exactly where he was. We started to see towards the end there that he was coming into his own little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, I look, I like what they have. I think they have not only good pieces, but I think they have a pretty good cohesive unit. Seeing how well Brogdon can play off the ball is still kind of an area that I need to see more of. Um, and they probably could use, but these guys are unicorns, you know, a Steven Adams type guy, just a big down low bruiser to free up Sabonis a little bit and, and get maybe turn. Yep. But, you know, there's not a lot of those guys out there. So that's the challenge for them. But, um, but yeah, I thought, I mean, I think they were obviously a playoff team. I mean, that goes without saying, but probably a team that could have slid somewhere between three and five in the East, won a playoff series. And then, you know, you kind of see what you can build up from, from there. And I don't know what it was too, but I really liked TJ McConnell, just the way that he was able to oh, he's great. kind of penetrate. And, and he, he, he's kind of that guy that sometimes doesn't show up in the box score, as they say, but you know, and, and I thought Doug McDermott, Really played well. He, I don't know what it is about Doug in Bankers Life Fieldhouse. That it makes is him crazy, though. Struggle that, from the it's field. crazy. He, but, on the road, it's crazy. But on the road, that dude is absolutely money. I mean, obviously, being one of the top scorers in college basketball history, you know he can shoot. But sometimes at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, it's like there's a there's a, there's a a lid on that thing. But I thought even he – that remember that road trip? Was it February where they, they beat Denver? I think they went to Utah and got slapped but then won – Four out of You're five right. on the road yep. trip, and I and I really thought, okay, Victor's gonna Victor's gonna get back into this role. It's gonna take him some time, possibly. But I, like I said, I, I thought this was a team that certainly could have had home court first round. And I've always said this: in a seven game series in the playoffs, anything can happen. We've seen it. We see it every year. So I, I'm I was kind of disappointed to see that you know we were robbed of what the Pacers could possibly be, but. Obviously, bigger things have prevailed. Uh, to the Colts now, obviously the big thing is Phillip Rivers. One year, $26 million. Some people love it. Some people hate it. There's rumors that, oh, they could have gotten Brady. Uh, let's just deal with what we know, and that's the fact that Phillip Rivers will more than likely be the starting quarterback for the Colts coming up in 2020, obviously, if we play. Your thoughts on Rivers signing here at the Colts? Um, I don't dislike it. I, I, I've always liked his competitiveness. I do think that he is. I, I think Philip Rivers has been an excellent player over the course of his career. Colts fans certainly know how fiery he can be. Um, to me, it shows that they believe that they are one to two years out from getting their next real quarterback. I think it's going to be this year. I mean, I think that they – I don't know this, but I get the feeling, and I don't think he's going to be around, but – Love out of Utah State is a guy that I think Chris Ballard has taken lots and lots of looks at. What this tells me is that the Colts believe there has to be somebody out there that they believe is like a two-year out and just needs some grooming time. And Phillip Rivers is being brought in, I think, to mentor a young quarterback as much as, as, much as to try. You know, I don't know that they think they're a Super Bowl contender this year and that Phillip Rivers is the piece that gets them over the top. I think that they – I think a lot of it, Tony, is if you look at young players and Chris Ballard's trying to build with young players and you're looking at guys that you 
are trying to figure out whether there's somebody that you can ride with for three, four, five years. You have to see how they play with competent quarterback. That's not to say Jacoby Brissett's incompetent, mm-hmm. but you have to see how they can play in in deep into third and fourth quarter competitive games. And now you have that because I think Rivers is going to keep you competitive for sure. But I do think that they're going to get a young player and Rivers is going to be um, a tutor and a mentor inside and outside the facility for that player. Do you think that they decide to keep Jacoby Brissett as a backup, you know, just in case something as a fail safe for Phillip Rivers, whether that doesn't work out? I mean, he hasn't really been injured, but again, he is upward of 38 years old. What do you think that the Colts do with Jacoby Brissett? I think they probably keep him, and I'll tell you why. Because, number one, he's been a good soldier. He's a popular and likable guy. And, number two, um, he's another voice that can that can mentor a young guy on what it's like to be a starter in the league. But, and I know that, you know, I said this the other day when I did a show, he's a donut tire. Mm-hmm. You know, the donut tire on your car is perfectly sufficient to get you back to work the next day and, until you can get to the tire shop. But you don't take a road trip to Chicago on it. And to me, that's Jacoby Brissett as a quarterback. So I, I think they do keep Brissett, but the biggest reason, Tony, is because they have the cap space to do it. He's a huge number, mm-hmm. and he'd be, you know, in normal circumstances, it would not be a great investment, but they have the financial cap to do it. Well, we'll see when the season gets started and the draft does happen, because that's kind of the next domino to fall, I guess, in all of this, is whether or not they will have the NFL draft. I think that they will. Maybe you don't bring people in to do it, but, I mean, I guess that's something – the technology is there to be able to just, I mean, if you're in a war room or whoever's making the pick just submits it, I mean, yeah, it's not going to be as exciting and it sucks because a lot of the fans are going to want to be there. But at the end of the day, if you got to get it done, um, you got to get it done. And, 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 and it kind of concerns me too, because now we're starting to look at Indianapolis and the big events that we've already lost um, this month. And you got the all-star game, which is in February and you just, I hate to be doomsday, but I also think that there's a lot of people out there in a lot of leagues that have to look at this Corona thing and think, okay, we need to look at worst case scenario because we can never come back from not being safe enough, but we can always fall right. back on being too safe. I, you know, I had forgotten about the all-star game. I think it all comes down to the, to a vaccine. I really mm-hmm. do. And I think that that's probably around the new year when we get that. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be a while, but you know, the, the NFL, Tony, I, I have to admit this when it comes to the NFL, you know, I'm watching the news and I'm, and I realize, I mean, I get it. It's, you know, we're talking about something that's uncharted territory for all of us and distractions are important and entertainment is important. I get that. And I get to a lot of people why that's a welcomed diversion, but I have to admit like the NFL to me comes off looking pretty tone deaf mm-hmm. for the last two weeks. I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm flipping the channels and, Channel number one is talking about how there are, you know, 7,000 new cases in this area. And channel number two is talking about how we now have seen more deaths than 9-11. And channel number three is talking about how we went from death 1,000 to death 2,000 in a third the amount of time it took to go from like 750 to 1,000. And then channel four is, hey, the NFL is proceeding with their draft and talking about whether or not they can do OTAs. And I'm just like, really? I mean, the, the people... I don't know. I've never been NFL draft guy. I mean, I, I, I do yeah. enjoy the first round of the draft. Don't get me wrong. It's fun. But the people in like the sixth round when you're drafting a, a left side 
linebacker out of Texas A&I, and people are talking about how they can't believe they bypassed on the right guard from Central Florida. And I'm just like, really? I, you know, yeah. go back and look. Pick a year off the top of your head, 2011, 2012. Go back to like 2012 and look at the fourth round of the NFL draft and see how many of those guys you've ever heard of. Yep. Or you know what I mean? Still, or are still in the league today or have <laughs> right. any kind of effect on an outcome of a football game. Exactly. Exactly. And people go hogwash over it. I'm just like, yeah. Jay Query's with us here on Tony D podcast. How are things with Derek? I know you guys were obviously good friends. And then uh, with that, it's going to lead me into talking about when you and I were kind of doing radio and kind of how we got to know each other. But, but how are things with Derek? And uh, I know you guys, I, I believe did a podcast. Um, you know, now we got a lot of time. Hopefully we'll see more of that. Uh, we did do a video, um, video yeah. shortly after we were laid off. Uh, I think he's well. I mean, we talk, you know, we probably text more than we talk, but um, we had a lot of conversation, and I guess you would say still somewhat ongoing, about our show. And, you know, it's I've never been in a situation where you get laid off as a two-person show because I told him very shortly after that, hey, listen, we're probably marketing branded attached at the hip. But if you have an opportunity from a solo standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, you got to pursue that. But just keep me abreast of it and I'll yeah. do the same. And so we had some people reach out to us and, you know, there were a lot of contractual things and that there were a lot of things in play. But then again, you have contractual non-competes and things like that. And, you know, they come into the factor. So so we've we've stayed in touch with that. Um, you know, his wife is in the health industry she's a nurse so you know i've touched base with them about that just to see just kind of where things are and how things are going so uh he's good you know i think he's like me and the fact that you kind of sit back and then you see where things fall and you find out where you go from there you and i have known each other for probably 10 years now i think i mean i was with jmv for eight and a half um you know i kind of came in thought i was a hot shot let's talk about, you made a really good point to me at one point that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, they're rivals. They probably don't talk, you know, they're, 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 they're shooting for the same ears, so to speak, the same listeners, but, but you and I and JMV, I know you and JMV have a, have a, have a history too working together and Derek, we've always all gotten along and, and you made a very good point at the end of the day, there's only a few, a certain amount of people in this business, in this town that, Go through what we go through, not only on the air, but the background of things, the producing, the booking of guests, uh, maybe the sponsorship obligations. But but we were, we always have, have, have had an open friendship, had an open communication. Um, so I thank you for that. You, you, you've given me a lot of advice. But um, just talk about w- what you would say to somebody that came up and said, oh, I'm surprised that you and JMV get along because a lot of people think that, you know, we've always been rivals and yeah, there's some, there is some hatred in radio today, especially in this market. We know that, but for the most part, I think everybody does get along. Yeah. I think, look for me, Tony, and I'm like anybody else. I mean, when I was a younger guy, I mean, I'm 47 years old. So, you know, if you're past the age of 35 and you, this is just my personal opinion. If you're beyond the age of 35 and you have vendetta against other people or you hold out ill will against other people or utilize opportunity 
to try to better yourself at the cost of other people, then that's on you. Yeah. That just shows that, that you've got some serious issues in my opinion, but you know, it is true. There's, you know, I tell people a lot of times, I mean, there are a lot of great things about what we do for a living. It's very fun. It's a great, it's a fun industry. It's one that's diversion for most people. So it's not quote reality. You know, you're not sitting at a desk from eight to five. However, the drawback of that, the other side of it is if you're an accountant, you're an architect, you're a lawyer, or you're a real estate agent and you lose your job, probably the only people that know about it aside from those in your industry are those that you choose to tell about it. Mm-hmm. You work in our line of work and you lose a job and it's on the front page of the local paper. I mean, yep. you know, and it's, and everybody's asking you about it and things like that. So when that happens, that's when you find out. I've just been a big believer in the way you treat people is the way that eventually you're going to be treated. And sometimes it takes longer for some people to figure that out than others, but it's a cruel lesson to learn if you figure it out for the first time when you're actually in need of it. And, you know, it's a pretty incestuous business too. I mean, there are only so many of us. So I I just always felt like we kind of got to look out for each other. Yeah. And I think you make a good point. I mean, obviously when I left the station, you don't really, I guess, realize how many people, you you touched or that actually did listen because you know you love the twitter interaction you love the phone calls you love meeting people out out at the racetrack or at a pacer game but you you know a lot of people don't really reach out as often as maybe they should but then and i know you you saw this or you felt this because i saw it on twitter as did i when, when i left the fan was that you just don't realize how many people are listening and pay attention to what you have to say and and, and I've listened to your show more so, you know, in the last, I mean, from probably June to January than I ever did, because obviously we're on at the same right. time. But, you know, there's a personal level where people start to learn, you know, about you and about your life. And they, and they feel like you're a friend. They feel like they can trust you, which obviously translates well to sponsorship and, hey, I trust this product. You should, too. But people get engulfed. And what you say, and and you know, you and Derek and JMV and I, we live different lives when we walk out of that radio station every day. But I always say, you know, with JMV, he's married with two kids. That's a lot of people in our target market, and I'm single with no kids, which is also a lot of people in our target market. Right. And you know, kind of the same, I guess, realm. You know, you don't have any kids. Derek does, so it's kind of like, oh yeah, Jake. Oh yeah, I went out on a Saturday night and and had fun with some friends and had some beers and, you know, Derek or JMV always at home with the kids and in bed by nine, you know, it just, there was such a personal feel that really made you feel loved when the circumstances and the consequences of not having a radio show anymore, uh, I guess, came to light. Yeah. I, I mean, I would agree with all that. It's, it is weird when I left and people, and I had no idea the number of people that apparently did hear our show. I mean, I assume my mom and 10 people I went to high school with listened to it. And all of a sudden, and I, and I get it too. I mean, hey, two guys get laid off from big time corporate America. You know, that people are going to rally behind that, whether or not they ever listen to it or not. But mm-hmm. it is funny, Tony, you know this. You know, no, not, nobody has ever stopped me and said, man, you were totally on point on your point about Andrew Luck. Or man you were right on when you said that about Tom Crean. Nobody ever says that, but people come up to me and they're like, Oh man, I love when you talk about Linder's ice cream, or I love the fact that man, I'm, I'm like you, I thought Zagnuts were underrated candy bars. That's the stuff people connected to. It was, it was crazy. 
Or, Crazy. yeah, man, I'm, I'm out. I mean, for me, living in Broderpool, that was kind of, especially in my 20s, I mean, you know, I was single, still am, but could go out and do whatever I wanted. And, oh, yeah, man, I saw Tony D out in Broderpool. Or, and then, you know, when people see JMV out in public, it's like, oh, yeah, I saw JMV at the gas station. Or right. I, I saw JMV getting carry out from the barbecue place in Johnson County. And it's just it's just crazy how, you know, and I always say this, too, and I'm a firm believer in this. Indianapolis is the world's biggest small town. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, for ev- sure. Ev- everybody knows somebody that you know that you went to college with or that knows you or you dated their friend or their mom's sister's brother used to work with your cousin. Um, so I learned that quickly. On the local topic, I know we're trying to support a lot of local businesses Give me some places off the top of your head that you enjoy locally that people can go out and support. Uh, Keystone Sports Review at 56 in Keystone because not only were they a great sponsor of our show, but Larry's the best, man. North side guy, you know, lived fabulous wings. I mean, absolutely. Cajun dry rub wings are outstanding. I love the work that Ed Som and Som says. Done. By the way, KSR has fabulous pizza, too. Uh, Som's has done a great job. Ed Som and, and Eddie Som and Big Lug Canteen. Um, they've done a great job of, of kind of parlaying into a market where you can get food basically at just over cost and they've got it prepared there. I love those guys. I, I'm a huge fan of Basbo pizza. Um, so I, I can't imagine Basbo going anywhere, but you know, hopefully they'll stick around for sure. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention once life does get back to normal and you want to treat yourself, you got to go into the brand pine chocolates. Cause I love them, love them, love them, love them. So it's a lot of great places, man. I mean, a lot. And, you know, I've been to the Aristocrat and gotten carry out. I know Ale Emporium's done a great job of supporting their people. There's a lot. I mean, there are a lot of them I can sit here and go on and on. But those are those that come top of my head. Yeah. All right, Jake. Well, I appreciate you joining me, spending some time here this evening. Uh, always appreciate the conversation. And we will definitely do this again here, hopefully in a more normal type yeah. setting, previewing a race. Before I let you go, too, have you paid any attention to the this i racing that not only indycar is doing but nascar is doing um i don't mind it look it's not the real thing but we're not in a normal aspect of life and just kind of going behind the the scenes of seeing these people setting it up these drivers setting it up inside of their home on top of the way that it goes down how real it actually is um as far as down to the setup and tire wear have you paid attention to this i think it's I, entertaining. I was i was stunned actually the first one i watched was a nascar one and i was stunned how realistic it looked um mm-hmm. you know i was like wow it actually looks like a real you know real race broadcast basically and then i was asked to do one for the bomberito one that indycar did i think mm-hmm. rossi was in that i think um alex Pillow was in it holton colton Herta might have been and I had drivers from different series mm-hmm. but I didn't have the right equipment to like, I mean, I was able to watch it, but in terms of, I didn't have the microphone and everything else that was necessary. So Nick Yeoman and Rob Halden did that one. Uh, It's cool. I mean, look, it's, I think maybe I took for granted. I mean, I've been to close to two, I've called close to 200 races. Um, I think maybe I've taken for granted some of the race weekends I've had. So it kind of made me, you know, seeing Watkins Glen and I'm like, Oh man, that's exactly like right where I am during the race. You know, it's pretty cool to do those things. And I mean, fingers crossed, sooner than later, we'll be doing it again. Yeah, and I think and I don't want to take away from any channels. I know NBC Sports Network's going to broadcast the IndyCar race this Saturday. I don't want to take away from any of those. But uh, to that to that Bomberito race at Gateway, uh, Connor Daly was one of the uh, – him and James Davison were the only, I guess, quote-unquote IndyCar drivers 
to still be in the race towards the end. And I dialed in Connor's Twitch channel, which I don't, I'm not really too familiar with Twitch, but it's basically you watch people play video games and it seems to be very popular. It's not a thing that I would probably get used to, to logging into, but it was cool because Connor was running his race and he could talk and we could hear him talking to Alexander Rossi and Colton Herta and Colton and Alex were calling the race as strategists to, all right, here's when you need to pit. Here's when you're going to run out of fuel. Here's where the tire wear was. And that, that was, I mean, it was about as realistic as it gets. If you're at a racetrack listening on the scanner, except you have one driver racing the race and you have two drivers telling him right. what he should and shouldn't be doing as far. So it was, it, it certainly made it entertaining. And I watched the IndyCar race, um, you know, I think it was Sunday that watched the NASCAR or Saturday watched the NASCAR on Sunday. Then I spent three hours watching that St. Louis race um, on Connor Daly's Twitch because it was just it was certainly that interesting. So um, if people get a chance, they want to dial into Connor's Twitch. I think it's Connor Daly 22. But that was uh, that was hella entertainment uh, for a Sunday night when really there wasn't a lot else going on except for watching reruns of old races or reruns of of old basketball and baseball games that were on ESPN. Man, I went into a sports bar before. So like right when I think it was probably the day after the tournament. No, let me think. It would have been if I was in St. Pete and I came back Friday. So like that Saturday night went out to dinner and we went into a sports bar. This is before the restaurants had closed, like on that Monday. And mm-hmm. it was weird to look up Tony at the monitors and sit there and all these games are on and then realize these are all old. Not one yeah. of them is live. It's weird, yeah. man. And, 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 and especially here in Indiana where sports gambling is legal. And I guess you don't realize how much time a lot of the people, including myself, have spent hey, on how that. much is this cost fan duel and draft games? Saving me a lot of money. <laughs> I could tell you that, but yeah, I mean, and they're still, they are still trying to entice you by offering you mega bonuses and getting you to bet on not only can you bet on horse racing, but you can bet on at before it ended Australian rules football, there's soccer. And you could literally, if you log on to FanDuel right now, I guarantee you, you can bet on yes, table tennis. Wow. Which is just absolutely insane. Look, man, and, look, but let me tell you something. Lot. If you are, <laughs> I mean, I love, don't get me wrong. I love both DraftKings and FanDuel, and I know that people have enjoyed it. If you're logging on right now to put down money on table tennis, it might be time, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, I've gotten to a point, a lot of people have, where you kind of got to look in the mirror and say, okay, this is this has probably gone yeah. on too much. You've, you've it, done a little it, bit it too might much of this. Yeah. But table tennis, you're like, it, do you go to it because you're just so damn bored or is it like you just need that action? And that's, I mean, I've ran and I'll do it again this weekend. I mean, hopefully, I mean, I don't know. Nobody's listening anyway because nobody wants to hear me, but um, you know, I'll run a pool and we'll just randomize some drivers. And that's what we did over the weekend because it gave us intrigue to watch the race. And I think you got more viewers. I had people that I had never even known had interest in any kind of racing. Like, all right, yeah, we're going to watch this. I mean, I've seen people on there, um, betting marble races. Like there were people on there legitimately betting marble races, people that were simulating the NCAA tournament on a video game, betting on it. I'm just like, all right. I, I mean, I guess we are just this desperate for action and people want to check it out. Right, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, can you imagine, honestly, like if, if you're scouting out 
And there are probably people that are like subscribing now to some table tennis insider magazine. Yep. Uh, not me. <laughs> no, thank you. All right, Jake, appreciate it. Uh, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. And, uh, and at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y. And actually, it's kind of cool. If you go right now, I've got the latest odds for next week's highlight matches in Greece. So feel free to oh, log in. Okay. All right. Yeah, looking forward to uh, to that. Maybe we'll break down uh, race number four from Tampa Bay Downs right. coming up on uh, Sunday afternoon. We'll see what we can do. So, all right, Jake, appreciate your time. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Tony. All right, I certainly appreciate Jake spending some time. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. Again, brought to you by Flooring is Forever. Um, hopefully we establish some normalcy here. We can get back out and having a good time. Always enjoy seeing everybody out and about. And hopefully we just get through this together. I'm I'm watching episodes of Californication. I think I've gone through every Indy 500 for the last 20 years. I'm on like qualifications. And uh, let's have some fun during this, this iRace this weekend. Uh, got a lot of uh, racing action, even though it's obviously done on the computer. But it was, like Jake said, it's pretty realistic. And it's certainly entertaining if you can get a little behind-the-scenes look as well. Stay safe. Uh, thanks to all of our nurses out there, even teachers, everybody that is doing their part, uh, but especially nurses. We're thinking of all you guys. You're the real heroes in all of this. The Tony of the Podcast brought to you by Flooring is forever. Have a great rest of your week.